Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Every single problem that we face as a people collectively and as individuals personally is related back to this issue of sin. This chapter is the classic chapter that teaches the fall of man. And of course, we live in a day and age where people's minds have been seduced into thinking that man never fell. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, in a message titled, The Fall of Man. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Like Genesis chapter 1, chapter 3 is one of the key chapters of the Bible. For, among other things, it gives us the explanation of why things are the way they are. Now, remember, at the end of the creation period, God pronounced that everything was very good. But that state or condition of everything being very good was one that only Adam and Eve experienced, and it was one that they experienced for evidently just a very short period of time. Why is that? What happened? Well, the answer is before us here in the third chapter. Let's read some of the verses together, and I actually want to go back and pick up in the second chapter, look at a few verses there, and then move from there into the third chapter. So picking up in verse 8 of chapter 2, then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall eat surely die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning or subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, there are several things for us to look at in this chapter. And we're going to do that over the next few studies. But for now there are three things that I want to highlight because I want to sort of just get a, a general overview of what's happening, the, the gist of what's happening in the chapter, and then we'll come back and a bit later we'll look at some of the details. But the three things that I want to highlight are these. Number one, evil had a beginning and was not part of God's original plan. The pain, suffering, and misery in the world are the direct result of this event that we commonly call the fall. Secondly, death is not natural. It is the consequence of sin. And thirdly, we want to consider God's love, uh, compassion, and mercy in light of this tragic event that occurred. But before we consider these points, let me just really quickly address a few issues that are often brought up in relation to this chapter. Of course, we live in an age of skepticism. And more and more these days, people have no qualms whatsoever about speaking out very blasphemously against God and against his word. There is truly, these days, no fear of God before the eyes of many. And so people have no problem these days just dismissing so much of what the Scripture says. And this chapter is no exception. And this is one of the chapters, along with Genesis chapter 1, one of the chapters that is most often attacked by, by critics and by skeptics. And what they will most often say about this chapter is that this is nothing but mythology. The Greeks had their mythology, the Romans had their mythology, the Babylonians had their mythology, and the Jews had their mythology, and this is just a, a classic example of Jewish mythology. 
Now, of course, to some extent, you can understand why people would want it to be mythology because of what is being communicated here. Because the essence of what this chapter tells us is that every single problem that we face as a people collectively and as individuals personally is related back to this issue of sin. This chapter is the classic chapter that teaches the fall of man. And of course, we live in a day and age where people's minds have been seduced into thinking that man never fell. Man has been in a stage of evolutionary development, man has started at the bottom and he's moving toward the top. That's the, the conventional wisdom. Man started at the bottom and he's slowly but surely over this evolutionary process, he's you know, moving in an upward direction. The Bible teaches the exact opposite. Man started at a high point, made in the image of God, but he has fallen from that image, and that is what this chapter teaches, and that's why so many want to assign it to mythology. But regarding whether or not the passage is mythological, once again, let me quote to you C.S. Lewis, who was quite an authority on the subject. I, I quoted this earlier, but it's a great quote, so I'll give it to you again. C.S. Lewis said this, I've been reading poems, romances, vision, literature, legends, and myths all of my life. I know what they are like. I know that not one of them is like this. And uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, was referring to the scriptures in general and to the miraculous events that are chronicled for us in the scripture. So the first issue, is this chapter mythological? No, this is history. Are there some peculiar things in the chapter? Yes, there are. And we'll look at that in more detail as we go further in our study. Uh, But there is a creature referred to as the serpent here. We'll look a little bit more at what that actually probably means. But this creature is speaking to Eve. Now, that is a bit bizarre because that doesn't happen regularly. Uh, But it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. doesn't mean that it uh, couldn't have happened And, of course, we believe that it did happen. Secondly, people are perplexed over the whole issue of the presence of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in the garden. So why would God place the tree in the garden in the first place? Some have wondered. Some have asked. And and some sincerely have asked that question, and it's a legitimate question. And we just have to remember this, that God endowed man with the power of choice, which enabled him to choose, even to choose if he decided to, contrary to the will of God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil gave man the opportunity to exercise that freedom of choice. You see, God did not make man as an automaton. He did not, as we've heard many times, he didn't make us pre-programmed to love him. We are not robots. In order for God and in order for us to experience a meaningful relationship with a genuine love, there had to be the ability to exercise choice in reference to the relationship. 
And that's what the tree did. It provided man with the choice. The choice to love God freely of his own volition or the choice not to love God, expressing his lack of love for God through disobedience. Another thing that is brought up, and again, I think to some extent it's a legitimate question if it's asked sincerely, how could so great a penalty be attached to so seemingly small a sin? Because after all, what Christian theology teaches is that all of the death, destruction, misery, suffering, everything else that has ever gone on on the planet is traced back to this moment in time when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit. That seems like such a small thing for such massive consequences. And so some have wondered, how could so great a penalty be attached to so small a sin Well, know this, it does not necessarily require some great act to prove or disprove one's loyalty to another. And what happened in this particular incident, among other things, is that Adam and Eve quickly shifted their loyalty from God to God's archenemy, Satan. The tree, in some ways, I don't want to say it was insignificant, but You know, some people have speculated that maybe there was something particular in the fruit that they ate that, you know, caused this chain reaction that resulted in death and destruction. But but in some sense, the tree probably was nothing more than a restraint on Adam and Eve. Not that there was necessarily something intrinsic within the fruit itself that would produce death, but the tree reminded them that they were not God and that God had a legitimate claim on their obedience and that they were responsible to him. And so it wasn't so much, you know, the fruit on the tree, but it was the very act of disobeying God. The tree happened to be the point of of disobedience. But we must also keep in mind that God had clearly told Adam in advance of the dire consequences of disobedience. And we read that in the second chapter. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, just a quick side note. There are those who teach Christians who hold to maybe like a day-age theory or sort of a theistic evolutionary view of the early chapters of Genesis. They teach that death existed before Adam. And they try to, you know, point to the fossil record and so forth. And all of these were pre-Adamic creatures that evidently died uh, long before Adam came because we know the fossil record is millions upon millions upon millions of years old and so forth. So they have a position of putting death before Adam's sin. And one of the arguments that they use to support that is they say, well, look at God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So Adam must have known what death was. He must have viewed death in order for that threat to have any real significance. So how do we respond to that? Well, I think the best answer is to realize that this record here in Genesis chapter 3 is an abbreviation of what took place at the time. We're not given all of the details. As a matter of fact, there are so many things that are left out. I mean, I am really curious about how long of a time transpired 
between, you know, that seventh day and the rest that, that God partook in. And, and this event we call the fall. We, we have no idea how long of a period of time this was. So there are a lot of things that we're not told. And I would answer those who insist that Adam must have known about death in order for that to have any significance. I would suggest that perhaps Adam said, what does that mean? And God said, oh, let me tell you. Uh, but it just didn't happen to get recorded in the text. It, it wasn't necessary to communicate what is being communicated. So these are some of the questions that come up in regard to the chapter. And hopefully, if you've had some of these questions yourself, maybe, maybe that's helped to clear some of that up. But let's look at those three points that I mentioned in the beginning. The three things that stand out here in this third chapter. Point number one, evil had a beginning and was not part of God's original plan. The pain, suffering, and misery in the world are a direct result of the fall. Now, we, we know this, or at least hopefully we know this as believers. This is certainly what the Bible teaches and I have found myself in my experience, and not that it's you know, been a, a totally thorough experience, it's somewhat limited, but, but I can tell you that in my experience from conversations with people over the years, from reading different sources and so forth, the biblical explanation for the way things are, to me, is the best explanation there is. Now, a lot of people, they don't want the biblical explanation, that the world is not what God intended it to be, but it is what it is because of the fall. They don't want that, but then you ask, well, okay, well, give me another scenario as to how we got to where we got, and usually they don't have one, and if they do have one, it's a really lame one. Doesn't make any sense. And this one, is as difficult as it might be for us to you know, swallow it to some extent, it is the best explanation of the situation. It really is the best explanation. But we as, as believers in a, in a world uh, surrounded by unbelievers and in an environment that is oftentimes hostile, we need to know this stuff. And so we can say to a person, hey, look, because of course the argument is always, you know, when it comes to the, the atheistic view, it, I can't believe in a loving God because of the suffering and the misery in the world. But, you know, for us to be able to come back and say, well, you know what, listen, this is not the world that God intended. And we, we've got to give more of an explanation than that, but that is a great starting point, and I have found myself that that will often really get the attention of somebody. They, they've never thought of it that way. They haven't really understood this, this whole uh, issue of the fall. Now, the existence of suffering has been an obstacle to belief in a loving God for many. In a survey that was taken, they asked this question. If you could ask God anything, what would it be? A number of people were surveyed. What could, if you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? The overwhelming response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Now, that's a fairly recent statistic. 
But these are questions people have been asking for a long, long time. Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, Epicurus is more accurate pronunciation. He said this. Now, I've heard this quote before attributed to more recent atheists, but it actually goes back to Epicurus. He said, either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can but does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can and does not want to, he is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, why is there still evil in the world? You see, this is the dilemma that some people are wrestling with. They're, they're trying to understand, well, if you're talking about a God who's all loving and a God who's omnipotent, why doesn't he do something about the state of the world? Well, of course, he has done something about it. He's in the process of doing something about it. And we are the ones who hopefully have that information and we can pass it on to other people. But, you know, I have found that like I'm saying, quite often, this answer will, you know, really, it will resonate with people. Some years ago, I was having a conversation with a guy, and he was a very thoughtful man, and I was talking to him about the Lord and, you know, trying to share the love of God with him and so forth. And, you know, he said to me in sincerity, he said, you know, I just really have a problem with the idea of a loving God because of all this, the suffering and the pain in the world. And he said, what, what do you think about that? And he was really sincere. He wasn't you know, looking for an argument. He was looking for an answer. I said, well, you know, let me tell you why there's suffering and pain in the world. And I took him back and I told him the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And you know, the funny thing was when I finished, he said, that's the best explanation I've ever heard. <laughs> said, he, was, he was on the right track, that guy was. But I think sometimes we underestimate the power. My son was telling me recently he was sharing with a guy up in Northern California where he lives, and he ended up talking. The guy was, he works in Starbucks, so the guy was in there trying to do something, and he walked up, and he was, ended up helping him with his computer or something, and uh, the guy was frustrated, and he was talking about how miserable the world is and how bad everything is and so forth, and uh, my son says, well, you, you want to know Why? And he says, well, yeah, why, you know? And so he, so he begins to share with them, you know, about the whole issue of sin and so forth. And the guy looks at him and he goes, I'm a biologist. And my son goes, well, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and, and the guy said this, he goes, this is what he said in response. He goes, hey, wh- what do you think about original sin? And so he got to sit down for the next hour and tell him about original sin. The guy had a sincere question about original sin. So these are the things that are going on in people's heads sometimes we're not aware of, but this is where it's so important that we be able to respond. And again, just going back and telling the story as it's laid out here, like I'm saying, it is the best explanation for why things are the way they are. There was a man, Pastor Chuck's mentioned him on many occasions. His name was Charles Templeton. He was a one-time evangelist, a very well-known evangelist. I think Chuck even saw him preach when he was young. And he became an evangelist for atheism later in life. He forsook the Lord. And in his book, Farewell to God, he 
wrote this. He said, a loving God could not possibly be the author of the horrors that go on daily and have gone on since time began For the month and will of September, continue as long Back as life Basics exists. Radio is offering a book titled God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. The current culture is enamored with things that are new, novel, or out of the ordinary. But the everyday and seemingly mundane and ordinary things of life are given hardly any thought. But what surprises can be revealed by the common things in life? In his book, God of All Things, Andrew Wilson will help you to encounter the extraordinary in the ordinary in a way that exalts Jesus and provides practical application. You'll be astonished at how everyday things can offer glimpses of the character and gospel of God. This book will move you to worship and the enjoyment of God. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.